Dame with a Goat's Foot, inspired by Paula Rago's painting of the same name. The two-string banjo plays a theme to our ageing, old soaks, we sit and talk out the weather, our fortunes and the price of youth. We sit in worn frills and garters, holding on to our daughters and granddaughters, who sleep unhampered by our laments, our songs of love and folly of men who carried us away on the back of goats to dance in castles and dine on lizards and mint tea, how we in our prime, bold in baubles and bustiers, did battle with taxidermists, tax collectors and our husbands. Hello and welcome to Woman Up, the podcast series by Desperate Artwives. I'm Susan Merrick and you've just heard a poem by our guest today, Amanda Holiday. Amanda has studied fine art and drama direction. She's an artist and a poet, and her work spans three decades. She's had poetry widely published, and I'm really excited that she's here today. Hello, Amanda. Hello. Thank you for your um, poem. Could you explain a bit to our listeners um, what you mean by, is it the term narrative drawings, or are these your art poems? Are those two different things that you work with? or Well, I came uh, to poetry through art. You know, I studied fine art, as you said, at Wimbledon back in the 80s. And it's, it was a kind of circuitous route that took me through to poetry. Uh, you know, I had my daughter along the way. I lived in South Africa for 10 years. And I started writing poems quite recently, in around 2017. And they were inspired by art. I think it's because your life changes as you have a family, as you know, and you have to adapt your art making. So I had been doing, working on very large drawings and then they started getting smaller. And I think that I found poetry was sort of like, you know, a kind of way of working anywhere really on the kitchen table. And, you know, that kind of whole vast room of imaginings you have as an artist, you can transport it anywhere as a poet. So you can work and do, you can work on the tube, and so it, it was a, another way of accessing all the kind of ideas that I've been um, exploring as an artist. And, of course, I've always loved Paula Rago. She's a, you know, wonderful artist, as you know, uh, very, very interesting in terms of her own life story and uh, her, her politics and all the, all the other things. And this is a, a, a painting that fascinated me and I found it came, it came very easily. I actually sent um, Paula Rago the, this book when it was published, so I uh, you know, hope she enjoyed the poems too. But I found that at least three or four of her works have inspired poems. I find that with uh, certain artists, they, they, they're particularly, you know, they speak to me. It's about what the art is often saying to me. Uh, I find that that's what the, the poetry does. So is that your process then? Do you generally, is it that um, artwork that you come across, um, you then, it, it, you recognise whether it's going to do something for you in terms of creating a poem? And is it only paintings and um, kind of print images or do you, do you get that from other kind of, other forms of artwork as well? Uh, 
yes, it is mainly a figurative work because my own work was uh, figurative and, and kind of storytelling. Um, there's a form of poetry called ekphrasis, which comes from the Greek word like speaking out. And it is about what the art says to me. But then I find the more I kind of write these types of poems, the kind of deeper you go into into the artwork. So it is, you know, um, I find that also when I'm reading them out, it's 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 about what they say to the audience as well. Like it's it's about ways of seeing and um, exploring my own reading of the picture, but hopefully touching other people with 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 this interpretation. You know, I don't think it's necessarily the only interpretation and not necessarily what the artists, uh, you know, wanted to say with the picture. So it's an interpretation, really. But, yes, I do feel that her work, like with a lot of other women, speaks to me, you know, as a woman, as a mother. So... Um, Would you read another poem for us, please, Amanda? OK, I will, I'll read another one that's inspired by Paula Rago. <clears throat> And this is, I've called the poem The Angel, if I can find it. And it's inspired by her painting On the Way to Egypt. The donkey was stubborn, and Mary dug her heels into its side. But the mule was tired of walking, and now the baby was crying. Fat little baby, all swaddled and plumpy. And Mary jiggled him and tickled him and put him to her breast, and still he was teary. And Joseph had walked off to lay a brick wall and have his hair styled into a flick. God damn it, men. But Mary bit her tongue and sent a quiet prayer up to the sky. Someone come and help. And the angel swooped down almost straight away. And at first there was a tussle. Mary held on. He's just a few weeks old. Don't take him to heaven yet. And the angel, calm and firm, said she'd take the baby to the pyramids to see the Pope and maybe some art, then bring him back. And Mary was relieved she'd see her son again and thank the winged lady before she trotted on. Wow. That's so emotive and hilarious all in one go. And it's all about the, you know what it's about, don't you? Those times when you think, oh my gosh, I can't cope, yeah. that kind of thing. So it was, I mean, that's what the actual painting conjured in me. It was, it's all about a particular moment, you know, where this angel is swooping down and she seems to be grabbing the child and she wants to give it to her, but then she doesn't want to. Yeah. You know, that whole idea of entrusting, like sometimes when you might have to entrust your child or baby with, with somebody and you don't quite know whether you should and, and sort of, you know. So there's, there was a lot there. And they're being desperate for a rest. Mm. Um, I've got from my research that you, in 1989, began a series called The Hum of History. Yes, that's right. Um, could you tell me about that, please, what that was? Yes, that was a, a very uh, large-scale series of drawings on brown paper, because I loved working on brown paper, partly because it uh, kind of represented my skin colour in, in so many ways, but also I love the, the feel of it and, you know, that kind of butcher's wrapping paper and stuff. So I started this huge series of drawings. Then, when I was living in uh, East Dulwich in a kind of uh, short-life housing or a squat and had big wall space... And the f one of the first drawings was uh, of Margaret Thatcher embalmed and mummified, you know. So that was one of the first. And then, I, you know, I, I thought I had this idea, you know, I had pretty grand ideas then. Oh, I'm going to do this 
whole series that goes on forever, you know, tell the story of the world, you know. So I had all these kind of big ideas, and I think I stopped at about three. And then I kind of resumed it, you know, that caught, captured my imagination when I was living in South Africa. Because when I was in South Africa, I was in this marriage, and I wasn't happy, and I wanted to get out of it, the marriage. And I kind of started drawing again these huge drawings as a kind of way of, you know, kind of... Um, bringing myself you know to picturing what I could do with my life and, and my daughter was in it so there's always this woman striding out the picture holding a daughter like this so I kind of started doing this and I did about like must have been five or six of these huge drawings in South Africa and then you know it worked you see so I find myself back in the UK eventually you know kind of worked through all, all the things I needed to do amazing Am I right in thinking you were also working as a script writer while you were um, out in South Africa? Yes, yes. I was, I was doing kind of uh, factual television and educational arts programming. I did a series for the Par Parliamentary Millennium Project uh, on ways of seeing, which was about um, self-advocacy for young South African children and sort of like we as a kind of looked at, you know, things like focus, perspective quite simple terms but then exploring them in in kind of both literal and, and metaphorical ways you know and um with with a group of children and it was kind of on i think if they should probably show me about 10 or 15 times on the tv there you know it was uh, it was shown so many times so that was interesting i also did some uh storytelling programs for young children like african storytelling you know programs yeah so that was a kind of, uh, yeah, going in a different direction there. It wasn't necessarily my own stories or, you know, the kind of... There's always this kind of dilemma as an artist in things you want to do and say and things that you have to do, you know, that whole... Yeah. You, you know, need to, that. You need to earn some money. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you... So you... Um, I asked about narrative drawings and art poems earlier. Yeah. And I know that the poems that you're reading now are fairly, are fairly new to your practice the last few years, and that's what you call the art poems or art poetry. Um, you mentioned in, in older work, in your older practice, narrative drawings. What, what exactly do you mean by that? You've described some of the drawings that you've done, but when you call it a narrative drawing, um, just describe that a bit for me. For me, a narrative drawing is a, kind, is a drawing that can tell a story that has got sort of uh, lots of different elements to it that you you don't necessarily know what it says, but you kind of look into it. Like my narrative drawings, there's a lot going on. Like I would say a lot of Paula Rego's work, there's a lot going on. There's different elements in different parts, you know, things happening in corners, people walking off there. It's almost like there's um, segments of it, you know, things going on. You feel that different, you know, it, it's... If you could follow it through, there's a story where all the parts link together somehow. So that's what I feel. Or that you feel that it's the beginning. You 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 want to see what happens next. Um, because I have, you know, worked as a scriptwriter and, and filmmaker, I feel that this is, you know, everything sort of it, it starts becoming the same type of art for me. So I just kind of take filmmaking into poetry and into art. So for me, art was like a piece of the story. You know, so that's what I mean, really, by these figuratives. They were a piece of the story. I wanted people to always wonder, like I did this series 
after my marriage ended on the bride who ate her husband. I called it that. <laughs> yes, and it makes everybody laugh. And I had the little man on a plate and everything, you know, these hands and stuff and peas. But, you know, exactly, just saying that makes people laugh. And it's the kind of the story, you think, oh, what happened there? You know, people start thinking, well, what happened? You know, why, who, what, you know, and how, you know. So that's what I mean. It sort of like offers up questions, a kind of, uh, that kind of narrative. That totally makes sense with this continuum of your work that you started with the, the drawings making a narrative and then you've you've come kind of full circle, I guess, to now creating that narrative from those images of, of other people's. You've mentioned um, Paul Arego a few times, um, obviously a big inspiration to you. Who else, um, artist-wise, do you, do you find yourself getting drawn into um, more regularly? I guess? Well, there's a, a Zimbabwean uh, woman who m works mainly with uh, screen print, and her name's Virginia Chihota, and I've written about two or three poems inspired by her works and you know they're kind of quite dark works uh there's artists donald rodney yinkashanabare a lot of black artists there's uh, zanelia moholy who's going to have a big show at uh, tate modern later this year written a kind of a, a, a you know a poem called hat because she does she uses all these kind of objects on her head so you know one of those really inspired me Different things, really. Sometimes it's quite quirky. I've also found myself inspired by things that happen as well to art. Like there was a case of some man falling down one of Anish Kapoor's holes, and I found that quite funny. So I kind of wrote a, a scenario around that. So, you know, it's not necessarily the artwork. Sometimes it's the kind of experience of, uh, you know, of, of visitors in the gallery or people, you know, viewing the artwork. Yeah. Could you read us another poem, please, Amanda? All right, I'll read you a darker one now, and this one is inspired by Virginia Chahota's uh, screen print called Testimony with Empty Hands. <clears throat> and I put with homage to Gabriel Garcia Marquez here because there's a, a kind of imagery that comes from one of his novels. Our mother's blood seeped down the street from where she was stabbed 11 times through the heart, down the gutters, to our school, and under the door, and into the room where we sat at our desks, empty-handed, reaching for answers. Wow. So you mentioned that your... Well, I can hear as well that your poetry might potentially bring in a darkness from a subject that you see, or it might translate some humour. What is um, important to you, either in perhaps a bit in your work, but also to you as a, as a person? What's what drives you? What's what's your passions? Ooh. Oh gosh, it's a, well, that's a um, big question, really. Uh, storytelling drives me, touching people, making people feel, really, and um, saying things that I think are important that uh, that other people can, you know, can also explore with me. 
through the poetry. Like, we'll see that in the last poem, which, are, you know, the one I'm going to save to the end, which is about my mother, who's, you know, who is actually a poet herself. So it's even more poignant. But is um, she's in, in a, a care home at the moment, you know, and, and no longer probably able to recognise me anymore. So that's... That's the final poem I'm going to talk to you. But it's, it's, I don't know, poetry can be about all, you know, for all these different moments in life, but it can also be about the everyday. So, um, I don't know, really, it's... <laughs> it is a big question, it's unfair. <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, which work, and I, I mean your work, which work gives you most pleasure? <sighs> I enjoy... I, I do enjoy writing poetry, especially when I do something that I feel is good. And it, it can be—it's a very precise way of working. Being a poet, you really have to think of the, the, exactly the right words, and it's kind of skimming back. It's a very different sort of process to art, which is often about working things through and taking things away. I mean, poetry can be like that, but it's—it's it's more about precision. You know, like a kind of surgeon's type of precision. You know, you can't—it's got to work type of thing. But I love making art I think art is a more kind of joyous for me experience you know like painting or collaging or you know you can just get totally carried away with that pasting and the making and the doing of it you know how did you begin your work as an artist you've mentioned that you went to um, Wimbledon College of Fine Art um, what was your what was your upbringing did you have art in your life from a young age um, well, I was born in Sierra Leone. My dad is from Sierra Leone. My mum is English. And my mum left my dad in, when I was five and brought me and my sister over and we went to live in the north of England. And um, my mum worked in all sorts of uh, jobs. And, she, you know, she worked as a bus conductor and she worked as a teacher. And... Um, so the question is, I'm supposed to be <laughs> going around to, oh, how did I have our, oh, my mum was, um, you know, she was, you know, even though we never had any money, she always bought some books when we were younger, me and my sister, so she had, a, you know, and she, she was doing her own writing in part time and, and became, first of all, she uh, published some children's books and then later on she became a poet. So I feel like in a lot of ways, my life, I feel sometimes my, my life is mimicking my mother's, you know, and I wonder, you know, if that's anything that you think about, you know, how much of our lives are, are our mother's lives, you know, and there's a part of me, me that wants to resist that, you know, that, 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 that whole thing, really, especially in, in terms of like going out to, I went to Cape Town and coming back and, you know, a, being a single parent and, and, and so forth, you know. So, yeah, I don't want to live my mother's life. <laughs> this, I think, would be a, a nice point to have another poem, if that's OK, Amanda. All right, OK. I shall read you one now, which is in... I did a um, an MA last year in poetry at the University of East Anglia, and this is the anthology that's published of all the MA writers. So I'm going to read you one from there. And this was uh, based on a, a real story. It's called The Mother Who Left Her Baby for the Queen. The baby cried very little. 
He had been home two days, milk in her breast one feed. The house was hollow. She wrapped him in brown paper, inside a fleece. 5 a.m. at the bus stop, waiting. London was still. In Pall Mall, taxis churred on tarmac. Street lamps blinked. At Buckingham Palace gate, she laid him down and walked away. He would stride back one day with brass bands blasting, jet planes icing the sky in red and blue plumes, a million plastic flags fanning the new king, her baby grown so tall. I saw her on the bus today, same face, pale and yellow as twenty years ago, splashed across the papers. What was your inspiration for that one? Well, I actually lived on a street in Broccoli uh, as uh, this girl. I don't know whether you're going to have to edit any of this out, bit out, but um, as this girl. And I remember going to the newsagents one day and there were all these cars parked in the street. And I said, oh, why are all these cars? And they said, oh, there's journalists, journalists. You know, the girl who just, the mother who just left a baby in at Buckingham Palace is her. You know, she lives, she lives in this street. So... And I realised who she was, you know. Like to share with us in terms of what you've got coming up, what you're doing at the moment. Um, well, I'm, you know, going to carry on with poetry and art simultaneously. Actually, I would like to find a way of bringing the two together, really. So that's probably what I'm going to be exploring, you know, finding a way of, uh, you know, combining maybe performing poetry and and an artwork that w that would that would be a nice development i think so should yeah i really enjoyed seeing when you were at the filia conference um in the room that jane hellings had um yeah. curated i really enjoyed seeing you perform there with the imagery behind you that was um, a really strong way of of, um, of performing the pieces yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like doing doing that. I've done that several times, and I, yeah, it's also it also makes the art very accessible to people who wouldn't necessarily, you know, look at it in these kind of ways. That's what I enjoy the most about it. You know, it's you're not necessarily not often I've spoken to like women audiences or not not art audiences at all. You know, so that's it's it's good. It's a nice feeling, you know, that you're bringing all this meaning out. For people, I think it would make um, a really powerful uh, workshop mm. program um, because the way that you interpret the paintings, the way that you interpret the images and artwork, um, does make it more accessible. It does make it um, it gives it a story which can make it relatable, which I think then can make it open to a wider audience. Mm. Um, yeah, I think you should consider that. Mm, right, thank uh, yes. Amanda, how did you come to start writing? Recently, I think I was inspired by paintings, but I was actually, you know, I was kind of good at English at school, but I was kind of pushed towards art always. And I think that kind of left me with the idea that I was better at art than I was at English, you know, these kind of things, whereas actually it was probably the other way around when I think back, you know, I was kind of got the art prizes and things. And, um, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's these kind of subtle little things that you take away with you from, from childhood, you know. 
And it's only recently that I think, oh, you know, I should have done this earlier. And also, I don't know, you know, I was two sisters and my sister was, you know, always very clever and, and, and I didn't want to do what she'd done, at, at, you know, studying, you know, so I had to be different. So I did, did art and I, did, you know, she'd done English, I couldn't do English and all those kind of things. So it's, I, I had to kind of take the circuitous route through life to find what I really wanted to do, you know. I suppose it's worth looking that up in siblings, where there's a kind of a bit of a rivalry and making sure it doesn't stop one or other of you from doing what you really want to do. So in the work that you mentioned before, um, the wife who ate her husband uh, after you'd uh, separated from your own partner, um, what what kind of work was that? Was that a, a drawing? It was a whole series of drawings that was almost like me coming to terms with the end of my marriage and and um and I had this bride you know I think the first picture was sort of like a takeoff of the Goya thing I had this woman in a wedding dress like chewing her husband and then I thought I would make a whole series so I saw I did this kind of bride with a, a tiny little husband getting married and then a kind of dinner plate I mean it was kind of jokey in a way you know and um you know this little man on a on on a dinner plate. This there was something. I mean, it's making you laugh, but there was something about me when I was an artist, just creating all these things. It was kind of I don't know whether it's therapeutic. It was making me laugh. I was kind of enjoying that whole thing. You know, maybe it's kind of like feminist power. I don't know what it was, but I really enjoyed sort of like putting a little man on a plate with peas and <laughs> chips next to the knife and fork, and you know. It was it was an enjoyable thing. I don't know. It's it's this whole thing about imagination. Again, you can work things out in your imagination. You can do things. You know, you can sort of control your life. It's in your art. You know, so you can tell all these stories to yourself or to other people. You know, that kind of help you. You know, process whatever it is in the way you want to. You know tell a story about it because I mean you know when people it's like you telling you about a cesarean I, I you know I had a cesarean I remember you know telling one of my friends oh, I had my daughter by a cesarean she said oh poor you like this and I thought what I'm fine it only took 20 minutes I'm perfectly happy with it <laughs> you know and I feel like so you are you can tell your story and and, and I think I, I wanted to tell a kind of a, a kind of semi-comical story you know about this this experience i didn't want to be all kind of gloom and doom or you know you don't want to you don't want to be a victim or you you know all these kind of things and art is a way of sort of like presenting your truth really you know and i think when you present art in that way when it has come from something quite personal or from even if it's not personal my work's often um quite social or dealing with social issues that might be quite dark but I don't always want to delve into just the the darkness of it. I want mm. to use some humour. Yeah, yeah. Or and it and I think it makes it uh, more accessible, so you can talk about these subjects. Yeah. Um, more. It's not it's not about making it palatable. It's about making it um, accessible as, yeah. as an important subject to talk about. I think. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Thank you so much, Amanda, for your time today. Uh, before you finish with the last poem. I'd uh, just like to say thank you very much and um, goodbye. Okay, this final poem is called uh, Flat Harry's Nose. <clears throat> My mum is now rice paper, scrunched into a ball on a bed, 
lined with a plastic sheet, her nose a white beak, eyes wet all the time with no light in them, and her knees peaked. When me and my daughter come into the room, she looks straight through us. This is not my mother. We sing a frog who would a wooing go, and she turns away. Someone brings a sherbet drink in a suck cup, asks one of us to give it her. Mum slurps like a bird and smiles. We sing, come into the garden, Maud. My daughter cries at the uselessness and runs to the toilet. I carry on singing, looking out of the window. The room is full of pretty things that shine and glow. On the wall, colour shapes, and by her bed, a squashed bear who must be 40 years old. When we lived up north, I used to collect for cancer research on the estate. One day I was given a bear for good work. My mum named him Flat Harry, made him one of the family, sent us birthday cards from him, but now his nose has fallen off. My daughter comes out of the toilet, her eyes watery, and I pick up the bear and ask, where has Flat Harry's nose gone? Mother laughs. I ask, how can Flat Harry smell with no nose? My daughter laughs and I look under the bed for the nose. My mother is still happy. The nurse comes back with another pink drink. I put the bear back in the chair next to the bed. We put our coats on. I say I'm going to find another nose for Flat Harry. We take the train home for five hours. When I'm home, I find a leather key fob, cut a circle, put, a, put it on the bedside table for next time we visit. Thank you for listening. I'm Susan Merrick, and this was Woman Up the podcast series by Desperate Artwives. Wives.